I can't honestly say I usually care too much about musicians and celebrities, but I have to admit, this one certainly caught my eye. Hey everybody, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whenever it is that you're joining us. It's a muggy day here in Connecticut, and whether you've realized it or not, you're listening to the Uncurated Catholic Show, where we celebrate the random, the messy, and the real. I'm your host, Torin Burke, youth minister and teacher by day and writer and obsessive thinker by night. And somewhere in between, I like to sit down and share what's been on my heart and occupying my mind. So if you're tuning in for the very first time right here each and every week, we may chat about God, life, quantum physics, conspiracy theories, bad haircuts, morning sickness, whatever seems worth sharing, all in the time it takes me to drink my morning coffee. So grab yourself a cup of whatever works for you. Before we begin today, make sure you check out my work at torinburke.com. Or you can follow the show on Instagram at Uncurated Catholic. Let's get to it. So I've got my coffee of the morning, and big news recently for anybody super plugged into the Christian music scene. If you're not, then it probably totally passed you by. Although most of the major networks did do some sort of culture piece on it. I saw Fox, I saw CNN, I saw Ben Shapiro, I saw various people, and The big news of the day is that John Steingard, who was the lead singer of the band Hawk Nelson, took to Instagram and I guess posted an incredibly long letter in which he states that he no longer believes in God. Now, for those of you who have never heard of Hawk Nelson, they underwent a shift around 2012. They began in 2000 and produced music that was kind of Christian-y, it had kind of Christian undertones, but really it was more of like a punk vibe-ish kind of thing, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, I don't know, maybe the fans can uh, can let me know. But the shift, as I'm told, really took the form of pushing the Christianity to the forefront in the way that they wrote their music, right? It's supposedly if you hold an older piece of a piece of music and a newer piece of music side by side i mean you look at the lyrics you listen to it it's like night and day it's almost a new band their newer stuff is more of like the classic evangelical praise and worship mainstream stuff like if you tune into the radio station k love like that type of stuff right so off the bat you know there are these mixed responses to this news they're, of course, the, the who cares crowd, which I think is probably a lot of people, and I, I can't blame them at all, you know, especially if they're not Christian themselves or they have no idea who he is. Another group is kind of the shocked group, I guess, um, maybe even scandalized at this idea that somebody who maybe for years they've seen praising God praying and leading people in worship or whatever from a stage, just outright renouncing his faith. I guess that's shocking to some. I personally fall into a third category. Those who are kind of a mix of mostly indifferent, but yet slightly curious as to how his whole internal process went down, right? I don't have too much personal investment in him, although it's always a beautiful thing to hear somebody coming to know Jesus or to have that aha moment. But I don't really know the guy. And so while I'm, of course, concerned for him in a theological way, I'm concerned for his soul. I kind of really was curious about the the process he went through because all of us are constantly going through a process. So I went to Instagram and I read the letter. 
and you can find it with a simple search. A lot of people have been republishing it or reposting it. Um, it's long. It's it's very long. Um, at least something for like social media. It's probably like six pages or something. Um, but when I read it, I found a guy who seemed to be admirably working through some difficult thinking, probably for the first time in his life. And honestly, for that, I am thankful, really, because it is an utter shame, at least in my opinion, for somebody to be going through the motions, right? To be using their faith as a show. Faith is a gift. God puts it on offer for each of us, and we must receive the gift and live it. But that requires putting aside biases. It requires looking at things in new ways. It requires asking difficult questions. And it requires knowing how to seek the answers and then process the answers once they're found. It's no lie to say that faith is a journey. It's lived each and every moment of each and every day. In his letter, he says the following, quote, I'm open to the idea that God is there. I'd prefer it if he was. I, I suspect if he is there, he is very different than what I was taught. Until then, I feel like the best thing I can do is be honest, end quote. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing, right? At least from where I'm sitting. You know, being Catholic, the story really hits home for me because, you know, from my little narrow, my, my small little vantage point, you know, the, the Catholic Church has at least a generation or maybe two who mostly went through the motions. Now, I, of course, state that with broad strokes. Saints are always being raised up. The Lord promises that the Holy Spirit will never forsake the church. However, it's an impression which becomes more and more reinforced in my mind as time goes on. Right? The, the experience of the church that my, my parents and my grandparents had locally, right, in their context and in their specific case, did little to awaken the faith within them. And they're not alone. Right, we're blind if we think that those are isolated cases. In the last maybe hundred years or so, I think that it's it's a far larger community of these folks who are just going through the motions. Sometimes they ask questions, but were met with no answers. They were told to just do as they're told. Right? They they were encouraged to collect their sacraments like badges of honor, almost, and then you know whatever happens happens. You know, you want to allow mass to, mass to be a thing of the past? That's fine, whatever, just as long as you have your sacraments. But they were witnessing hypocrisy and not the kind where people were trying but just broken because that's all of us, right? We're all broken. And, you know, there are those who are trying. That's not what I mean here by hypocrisy, but I'm talking like the the true hypocrisy, the hypocrisy where like the faith was openly and abashedly contradicted. It's good to pray, but then they never prayed, right? It's good to go to mass, but a football game comes up and maybe mass can wait, right? These just direct contradictions that they're hearing one thing and seeing something totally different. So, you know, my, my parents tried to raise me with what they had, but they were given very little to work with. And I don't mean that we should shirk personal responsibility, right? They, they are not just 
merely a, a product of what they received in their Christian experience, right? They themselves had a responsibility to grow and to take steps along the journey themselves. But I think that it's also important that those who are able to speak up, speak up, and those who are able to help others, help others, and those who are able to account for their faith, account for their faith. So I'm all for John being honest, right? I, I think I think he was almost raised in sort of a, a bubble in a way, right? He goes on to say, quote, I grew up in a loving Christian home. My dad was a pastor and still is. And as far back as I can remember, life was all about the church. It was our community. It was our family. When you grow up in a community that holds a shared belief and that shared belief is so incredibly central to everything, you simply adopt it. Everyone I was close to believed in God, so I did too, end quote. That last line in particular strikes home, so I did too. Kids learn from their environment. People learn from their environment. I think that's natural. That's good. In fact, I don't think there's any way around it. You know, I, I kind of find it funny in conversation when, you know, parents or, or people, um, have this idea that they're going to allow their kids to discover their own religion by raising them with absolutely none, right? As if that's going to you know, somehow be more encouraging of open-mindedness. But, but that, that's just not true, right? You're not raising them with none. You're raising them agnostic or you're raising them atheistic. You are indoctrinating your children into a, into a faith of sorts, either a faith that there is no God or a faith that we can never know that God exists. But you're not raising them without faith. You're just raising them with a particular faith. And that faith that you raise them in is not allowing them to necessarily be open-minded towards other things. It's just like a Christian kid getting raised by Christians, right? They're absorbing their environment regardless of it being theistic or atheistic. So that's that's kind of probably many of our experiences. A lot of folks just kind of carry on with what they're raised in, you know? But either way, there has to be the moment of maturation to, to mature. People have to discover their own convictions. That's what a conviction is. I think of the great stories of the martyrs of the past who openly went to their death for their faith. Well, you're not going to do that unless you're truly convicted. You have to honestly believe so strongly in something that you're willing to lay your life down, right? And I ask myself, do I have those convictions? Am I that convinced of what I believe? Back in the day, that wasn't the case, but I think I've come a long way. And it seems like John is moving into critically thinking about his own convictions. Because, you know, a faith that is merely accepted because everyone else is doing it is not actual faith. We inherit the faith from those who have gone before us. But we still have to have that moment where we really think about it. You know, we pray about it, we consider it, we contemplate it. And that is not a single moment. That is a process. That is a journey. Right? But we have to really allow that to either be our own or to just find what it is that we truly believe. In his letter, he openly presents a couple of particular things right, that have been bothering him about Christianity. And as I read them, I am both grateful that he's asking these questions because they are important questions. I'm also 
kind of a bit shocked, if I'm honest, because like he said in his letter, he was raised with a pastor for a father. And in fact, I think his his father-in-law, that is his wife's dad, is also a pastor. So within his immediate family, he has two pastors, which I'm assuming they're using that word insofar as they lead a community spiritually. They have adopted a spiritual leadership um, responsibility for themselves. So because, you know, he, 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 these questions that he's asked, right, he's spent his whole life centered around the church, the church, but these questions still persist, like, as if they were never addressed growing up. It's kind of like, you know, the standard schoolboy question. It's like, well, if God exists, who created God? It's like, I, I call that a schoolboy question because it is. It's something that, you know, little, little, uh, you know, little kids on the playground, it's, it's a natural thought that people have. Right? But the definition of God demands that God has no creation of himself. God always was. If you're talking about something created, you're no longer talking about God. So if we're going to debate God, we have to get our definitions on the same page. Right? Things like that. For example, you know, he goes on to kind of say the following in his letter. Quote, if God is all-loving and all-powerful, why is there evil in the world? Can he not do anything about it? Does he choose not to? Is the evil in the world a result of his desire to give us free will? Okay, then. What about famine, disease, floods, and all the suffering that isn't caused by humans and our free will? If God is loving, why does he send people to hell? End quote. And he goes on, quote, why does God seem so peed off, right, uh, in most of the Old Testament, and then all of a sudden he's a loving father in the New Testament? End quote. Now, these are good questions. These are wonderful questions. And God willing, somebody in his life will step forward and have real meaningful dialogue about them. There were, I saw a number of other Christian singers who reached out to him in love. You know, so I have, I have every belief that something beautiful will come from his openness um, through those who know him best, right? Not just as a performer, like us sitting here, never, never having met the guy, just talking about him really, but the people who know him as a true person. But, you know, living in this time of the internet, I, you know, I was kind of reflecting on is, is absolutely incredible in terms of this faith journey, because the church of my parents and grandparents did not have things like, just to name a few, right, Catholic Answers, or, you know, Dr. Scott Hahn, or the Augustine Institute, or any other of these countless ministries and apostolates seeking to present the truth in systematic ways, right? There are so many people stepping up to the plate as apologists, right? Not apologizing for the faith, but offering a defense for the faith, for the belief. And it's a beautiful thing through podcasting, through YouTube. Um, the reach that these apologists have is just incredible compared to what it has been in the past. You know, my, my parents and my grandparents, they were left, you know, to the devices of whichever priest they came across. And God bless them. I mean, no disrespect. But I have known my share of priests who do not always have a gift for thoughtful words. Sometimes, and I've experienced this myself, right? Sometimes people kind of leave more confused than they were before even asking the question, Priests are people, and they're on their own journey, and just because they're a priest doesn't mean they're just a question and answer machine, right? You put a question in, and you get a beautifully articulate, concise, thoughtful, earth-shattering, you know, answer. That's, that's not the case, right? But there are so many gifted people working nowadays 
to really plumb the depths of the questions such as John. And I, for one, have benefited so much from many of those folks throughout the years. I do not count myself among them, though. However, I do strongly believe, like I said, that each of us has a calling to give an account for the hope that is in us. We read that in 1 Peter 3.15. And so I will share what comes to my mind when reading through John's questions. When I was first seriously working through, like interpreting the Bible or wrapping my head around how God has revealed himself to humanity, things that I never really thought much about growing up, I I really, you know, went to mass and kind of went through the motions. I was taught to kind of go through the motions, but I, I never was encouraged to really think critically about this stuff. I struggled so much with trying to understand the same things that John brings up, like love in the presence of evil or God seemingly changing across time, right? He starts as a tyrant and then ends up as a father, right? But then I realized, right, not in some quick moment, but from where I'm sitting now looking back, I I realized that over time I had a habit of relating to God like I relate to other people, And over time, I realized that I was fashioning God in my own image. I could not imagine God any different than how I imagine my best friend or my neighbor, right? Confined in many ways. And I I thought I knew the truth about everything. And if God did not fit amongst those truths, then shame on him. I don't need him. That was, that was what I was, that was the mindset I was working with. And I think that's normal, (laughs) you know, and if that isn't your experience, that's wonderful. That is an utter true working of the Holy Spirit. God bless the fact that you are so open, but I think such problems in the, in the way we think of and relate to God, I think that's, that's normal, right? We, we naturally relate to things through experience, but unless you experience things that are beyond you, trying to understand God in whatever ways we can even understand God, right? It's like trying to bite a wall. Right? I've heard that expression from various speakers. It's like biting a wall, not a corner, not an edge, a wall. You can't. Your jaw has limits that do not wrap around what a wall is. You can't get a wall in your mouth. Good luck with that. So throughout kind of this, this part of my journey, I, I thought about things that I couldn't really understand. I thought about things like the physical constants in nature, right? Which are just the seemingly arbitrary rules that govern physics. I thought about the outer limits of outer space. I thought about my mother's love for me, even after I angrily told her I did not love her anymore. I thought about soldiers who give up their lives for their friends and for strangers. I thought about the complexity of the eyeball. I thought about how my father seemed angry and distant as a young boy only for me to grow up and realize that deep down he was always sacrificing to provide a better life for us. I realized over time that God is not a bearded man in the clouds. He is by definition, the singular point of reference for all things. And when his love does not meet my definition of love, I humble myself to learn and grow. And there are many things in this life I do not understand, but the more I open myself to the mysteries of this world, I find myself spotting God, not in the abstract ideas, 
although the Catholic world has known some incredible philosophers and theologians who provide plenty of that for those who learn in such ways. But for me, in the little things, right, in life's little experiences. And like all people, I have my doubts at times. I'm not perfect and neither is my faith, but I've traveled the path far enough to see kind of that light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, right? And whenever I think of new questions or want to look things up or look at things in different ways, I approach them joyfully, ready to come out on the other side better than before. I wish the very best to John Steingard. I really do. I, th I think this point in life will open many doors for him. And I, he seems at least through what I've kind of learned about him in this, in this, you know, reading of, of this letter and all, he seems like the type who will happily peek inside whatever doors present themselves and God bless him. But my mug is empty, which means that's all for this episode of the uncurated Catholic show. I cannot thank you enough for tuning in and listening. Again, you can reach me at torinburke.com. That's T-O-R-I-N-B-O-U-R-K-E. Or you can find me on Instagram at uncuratedcatholic. If you have any questions, suggestions for future topics, always feel free to reach out. I'm always down to chat about what comes to your heart and mind as well. Make sure you tune in next week and let's part ways with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever enjoy his consolations. Through Christ our Lord, amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. All the best. God love you. Benedicimus Domino. Let us bless the Lord.